You know, when we, when we flick, flick on our news feeds, we're bombarded with, with honestly, depravity in the world and evil. There's so much evil in our world. We watch war movies and think, how could another human being do that to another human being? And have you ever wondered, where did, where did it all come from? Now, if you ask a Christian, where did that come from? Straight, the answer would be this, oh, it's because of the, what's called the first fall, the fall of man, right? When, when sin entered the world because Adam and Eve, they took part of the forbidden fruit because of their first rebel, the serpent, right? Uh, because of that, this is why there's depravity in our world. Now, if you ask an ancient Israelite that same question, they're going to say to you, oh, that's easy. It's because of the first fall, the second fall, and the third fall. Oh, there's three falls. That's right. There's three falls. So if I fall off three times, I'm just doing an illustration. So glad someone laughed at that. So maybe if I can move on there. And so, uh, so, so we're going to be looking at the second fall today. It's the second rebellion. Well, last week was the first rebellion. This is the second rebellion. So... Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts, put it on, let's click in, let's have a look at this very strange passage in the Bible. You've read this many, if you, if you read your Bibles, you probably read this and you thought it was strange. It's getting even stranger. Are you ready? Here we go. Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. This is what it says. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful woman, and they took any they wanted as their wives. What they saw of their eyes bore pleasure, and they took, because it was pleasing to the eyes. Verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their days will be 120 years. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilim lived on the earth. For, what it, for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. I told you this was a strange passage, right? Uh, you're thinking, to, oh my goodness, sons of God having sex with, with women? What's going on here? Fathering giants? What on earth is going on? This is, this is weird. Like, oh my gosh, who are these sons of God? Who are these sons of God? And then just like last week, we had a visual aid by way of the Bible Project. So I've got this little clip for you. And thank you to our good friends, Dr. Tim Mackey. <laughs> we put together this, uh, this video for us, just for us, you know. Here we go. Take a look at this. some kind of spiritual realm that exists alongside the world as we know it. Right, and the biblical authors are no exception. Yeah, for them, the spiritual realm is a different kind of realm than ours. And to highlight that difference, the Bible refers to God's space as the sky or the heavens. Because the sky is really different from the land. It's above and beyond. And up there are shiny bodies that move around. I think of these as flaming gas balls. But when the biblical authors looked up, the stars gave them a way to talk and think about spiritual beings. In the Bible, they're called the sons of God, or the rulers and authorities, or even sometimes the divine council. So that sounds really important. What does the divine council do? Well, they're introduced in Genesis chapter one, where they're called the host of heaven, that is the sun, moon, and stars. And there, they're also called signs, 
meaning that their power and status symbolizes and points to God's power and status. Yeah, so in Genesis 1, God appoints them to rule over the day and night. Exactly. And then later in the Bible, we're told that they were celebrating God's power and creativity when he created the world. Like the cheering section of a game. Yeah, right. There are also stories in the Bible where God invites the divine council to participate in making a decision. Like when they help decide how to bring down the corrupt Israelite King Ahab. Or in the book of Job, where they debate God's policy of rewarding people who do good. So they're like God's staff team. But why does God need a team? If he's powerful enough to create the whole universe, he could surely rule it without any help. Well, he doesn't need them. But apparently, the God of the Bible wants to share authority with others. Oh, right. God shares his rule with human partners on Earth. And so, in the same way, there's a parallel story of God sharing his authority to rule with spiritual partners. Yes, that is, until it all falls apart in a twin rebellion. Okay, so remember the concept of God's heavenly staff team, the divine council, or the sons of God. In the Hebrew scriptures, we're told that some of these rebelled too. When did that happen? Multiple times, actually. After the snake comes the rebellion of the sons of God in Genesis 6. We're told that they have sex with women who then give birth to violent warrior giants. Oh, right. The Nephilim. These are probably the strangest characters in the whole Bible. Well, strange from your point of view. But ancient readers knew exactly what was going on. The ancient kingdoms around Israel claimed to be founded and protected by giant warrior kings who were part human, part God, and filled with divine wisdom. Ah, I see. So the biblical authors are saying, hey, those warrior kings, they shouldn't be honored. Right. In this story, they're portrayed as human rebels who are captive to spiritual evil, spreading their violence in God's good world. Right. So um, just went stranger, didn't you think? You thought that was whoa, stranger things. Well, it got even stranger. You think, is that in, in our Bibles? Yes. It's in our Bibles, and it's just, and it's just kind of, kind of just gets stranger and stranger as we as we get into this. I don't know if you noticed because when the first fall happened, um, there's a parallel with chapter six. So Genesis chapter three is the serpent and humanity. There's a parallel. In fact, the language is, is very similar. And the biblical writers they're writing a parallel story. The first story was humanity, right? They saw what was pleasing to the eyes, the forbidden fruit, so they took. What is pleasing to the eyes, right? And that was their first form. They wanted, what do they wanted to be like? They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be like, in last week, they wanted to be like the Elohim, the spiritual beings. So now this story uses the same language. Now instead of the humanity, it's the sons of God. It's these Elohims. They come down and they see what's pleasing to the eyes. And so they take for themselves. They take from themselves. But just like how humanity want to be like Elohim, these Elohims are reaching to become flesh themselves and they father these Nephilims, these, these, strange, these, <laughs> these strange giant warrior kings of the past, these, these giant Nephilims. But I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but if you notice in, in, uh, in verse 3, it says, what does it say in verse 3? Let's have a look at it. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not uh, put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh, and in the future, their days will be 120 years. Strange little segment that's thrown in there. And, and most of us are thinking, oh, that's just talking about the uh, human beings. We're only going to live to 120 years, right? And yeah, we, we all know that the average age of a human being is 120 years. 
No, it's not. We all know that's not like, it, it, it wasn't like that. Even in the Old Testament, no one lived to 120 years. More likely, most people lived to about 50 or 60 in the Old Testament. So it wasn't even 120 years. So what does this 120 years mean? And basically, it's, it's all linked to the flood, right? Because from this moment on, 20 years later, Noah comes on the scene. Noah gets commanded to build an ark. 100 years later, he completes it. The flood comes. From this moment, it's 120 years. So God is dealing with a gene problem. And what's the gene problem? It's this unholy union of, of the spiritual and the physical coming together, the Nephilim. These Nephilim, they were causing havoc, bringing violence and despair, wreaking havoc on, on humanity. So God comes and he judges them 120 years, wipes them off the planet. Okay, so this is the 120 years. This is what's going, going on here. Now, you wanna, do you want us to go a bit stranger? You might want to go a bit stranger? Okay, I'm going to go a little bit stranger here. Now, according to Jewish literature, this is what we call the Second Temple Period. This is the period uh, between, uh, between the last book of the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's, and there's a period of 400 years. It's called the Silent Years. This is what we call the Second Temple Period, and there was lots of literature written. Okay, They're not part of the divine-inspired books, but... According to this literature, the dead Nephilim, their spirit didn't belong in the heavens or the world below. So their spirits roamed the planet Earth, and they were called the unclean spirits. The unclean spirits. But where do we come across unclean spirits? The New Testament. So according to the uh, Hebrew literature, is that the Nephilim, the unclean spirit we find in the New Testament are the dead spirits of these Nephilim that are looking. They're, 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 they're lesser spiritual beings, these things. Strange. Look, again, it's not in the inspired, an inspired book, so you can take that information and flush it down the dunny. Totally up to you. I just thought I'd just share something a little bit more stranger. Than to, okay, you, you okay with that? Okay, here we go. Man, Genesis 6, it's strange. Who, anybody agree with me? This is a strange passage. In fact, a lot of Christian commentators, in fact, some Christian commentators, they just can't comprehend this. So you know what they say? They say, oh, man, this is so weird. Okay, oh, you know what? These, these sons of God, they're just human beings. Let's just say they're human beings, right? Because it's so hard to comprehend. But for the ancient Hebrew readers, as well as the New Testament writers, for them, they had no doubt who these sons of God were. They were members of the divine council. They were the Elohim. And uh, so just a just to show what they were thinking, we're going to go to another strange passage in the Bible, this time from the New Testament. Are you ready to have a look at the next strange passage? Jude, verse 6. There's, no, there's, no, there's only one chapter in Jude, so it's only verses. We're going to go to Jude, verse 6, and this is what it says. Actually, before we read it, you may have read this. If you're a regular Bible reader here, you probably would have read this, and you're probably scratching your head when you read this. But when we read it in context with all the connection, it starts to make sense. Here we go, verse 6. And the angels who did not stay with their position of authority but left their proper dwelling, yeah, these are the sons of God. And so Jude is connecting them to Genesis chapter 6. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, here's, like, you go, what? Where did that come from? Now, Jude adds some information that we don't find in Genesis chapter 6. 
according to Jude, is that these sons of God, um, these, these Elohim that they rebelled against God, their punishment is that they were held, that they're chained up in the place of darkness. According to him, he adds this information that we don't find in the Old Testament. He adds this information. They're held there until judgment day. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality. Oh, what, what was the sexual immorality? And pursued unnatural desire. Serve an example by, by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Now, Jude, he connects the incident of Sodom and Gomorrah with the incident of, of Genesis chapter 6. So according to Jude, what he's connecting is the real sin that happened here is that the men wanted to have sex with angels. This is what, this is what he's connecting here. This is, what he, this is what he's thinking. He's connecting Genesis 6, and this is what these sons of God, these are the angels. These guys, they're, 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 they're fallen angels. They're, the, they're, they're, they're fallen on the run. In fact, the apostle Peter stays in this thinking. So we're going to go to another strange passage in our Bible. Are you ready for more strange, stranger things? Okay, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And Apostle Paul, he carries on in this thinking as well. And you've probably read Peter. You've probably read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and you've probably thought, what's going on here? Well, here we go. We're going, we're going there. That's where we're going. Verse 4. For God did not spare, this is 2 Peter, for God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell. Right? In your English translations, it's the word hell. But the Greek word is the Greek word Tartarus. Tartarus. Now, if you're familiar with Greek mythology, you've heard of this word Tartarus because it is where, the, in Greek mythology, where the Titans are chained up. And if you know some of the stories, like some of the movies, Clash of the Titans and thing, they escaped Tartarus and they started to attack Mount Olympus. Okay? Those are the stories. They're the same kind of word. Tartarus is, is like where the baddest or the bad are chained up. That's what Peter is trying to get your head around. He's speaking to people who are familiar with Greek mythology. This is where the bad guys are chained up. And Tartarus, for God did not spare even the angels who sinned. Nowhere in the Bible do we find angels sinning. The only connection we have is Genesis 6. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into Tartarus in gloomy chains of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. All right. So where are these sons of God? They're imprisoned until the day of judgment. Verse 5, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. So Peter connects these, this, he connects the story, he connects the dots. These sons of God, these are the angels that I'm talking about. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So God's dealing with this gene problem, getting rid of the Nephilim that are there. Verse 6, later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to the ungodly people. Just like Jude, he's connecting the sin here. The real sin here is, is, is uh, these men wanting to have sex with angels, which is why the city was destroyed. Right? So, the, and so he connects these passages. This is how we, so stranger think, what's going on here? What's, what's happening here? Right? So I'm going to go to one more, I promise you, one more strange passage in the Bible. We're going to have a look at it. And this is a passage that many people have, there's lots of passages scratch your head. I know you read this and you probably had, what the heck is going on here? 
We're going to go into one more. And, uh, but here's the thing. The Apostle Peter, he connects this story to Genesis 6. 6. So when we read this, keep Genesis 6 in mind. Here we go. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says this. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. That Jesus died for all your sins, all your grit, so that you are welcomed into God's family. And when you're welcomed as God's family, you are a son and daughter of God. That's who you are, that you have authority, and you'll never be pushed out of God's family. He has welcomed you home. He suffered physical death. He was raised to life in the Spirit. So, oh, well, yeah, absolutely, amen. Praise Jesus. Conquers death, amen. Verse 19. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. And this is where the record gets scratched. What? What's, <laughs> yeah, what? What happened here? That, that took a really sharp turn. We were in front of, yes, I was down with all that. Yeah, that's right. He died for my sins. He rose again. Then he went down and he preached to those in the prisons. What's going on in this passage, right? So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, right? How long did God wait? 120 years, according to Genesis 6. Only eight people were saved from drowning in the terrible flood. So which spiritual beings were in prison during the time of Noah? The sons of God, imprisoned in Tartarus until their final fate on Judgment Day. So Jesus, he goes down, so Jesus is crucified. Peter says when he's crucified and he's buried, he goes down to the underworld. He's like, what's he doing going down to the underworld? And he goes and he preaches to those in prison. Who's he preaching to? When you, when you begin to have a look at all these other passages, he's preaching to the imprisoned sons of God who are there. And this is what I, I'm just putting, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine what Jesus is saying to these, to these um, imprisoned sons of God. And this is, what, this is what I think Jesus is saying. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's saying this. He's saying, you think you have won because I am crucified I was crucified, and now I'm here with you. And you're, you're probably thinking that your buddy, the serpent, he's going to let you out of here. But I'm here to tell you that you're going to stay here, and you have lost. Because guess what, buddy? I'm leaving. I've won the victory. In fact, I'm going to go over to the gatekeepers over there, to death and Hades, and I'm going to take the key from them to show you that I have conquered death. That death has no authority, that all authority has been given to me. So I'm here to proclaim to you that, you still, you, that you've still lost, and you're not getting out of here until the day of judgment. So sayonara, I have finished my work. And Revelations chapter 1 verse 17 says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. This is what Jesus is saying to you right now. For you who, who, who feel the weight of oppression, for you who feel the weight of oppression of, of, of people in your workplace, people even in your family. You know, the Apostle Paul says that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but the principalities, about the spiritual forces that are at work. And Jesus will say to you, Fear not, I am the first and the last. 
and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus conquered death. He has set you and me free. So what does this mean for us? It means that sin and death has no hold on you. It has no hold on you. And going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and, he's taught, and, and he carries on, he ends up with this in verse 22. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Jesus has all authority, all honor. He has disarmed the enemy. The next time you feel like that you're under some kind of attack, you, you're hearing this, this deep bark of the enemy. Woo, 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 woo. You're, that's all you're hearing. I want you to have another look and realizing the power that God has given you. Because when you have another look and when you realize that the power that the enemy has, you know what you're going to see making this big noise? Woo, 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 woo. All you're going to see is a little chihuahua with no teeth. And he's gumming at you. And you go, what's it? It's a little chihuahua. That is all the power of darkness has over you. Nothing. Jesus has set you free. He has won. Sin and death has no hold on you. Has no hold on you. No matter what comes your way. Jesus is the snake crusher. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the door. He is hope. That's who he is. And he set you free. You know, years ago, when I was a youth pastor, our senior pastor had gone home then. That's Pastor Bob Lawson. All those years ago, those who know him. And I was like, he's gone home. Just me here. I think it's time for me to go home. And the boss is gone, right? Let's just go. So I'm like, cool, cool. Packing up my gear. And I'm, I'm like, I just want to go home. I just, you know, I forget what it was. And as I'm leaving, this elderly man comes through the door. And I'm thinking, I'm going home. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? I want to lock up. And this guy, it was like, his eyes were glazed over. And it was like something had hold of him. And he simply says to me, I, I, I was driving by. And I saw church on the sign. And I need to talk to someone. When he said that to me, this is what I was thinking in my head. I was thinking, just tell him the senior pastor's going home. Come back tomorrow. And then close the door, right? That's what I was going to say. For, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I said, come on, let's have a talk. So he sits down with me. And he's sharing, goes, I've, all my life, I've lived a life of evil. And just recently, I just felt that I need to put my life right. And he started sharing, like, I, I know that if I die, I'm going to hell. I need, I need something to change. But then he says, but someone told me. Someone told me what the Bible says. You know what's really interesting? Isn't it interesting that people who don't know God, people who are far away from God, love to tell you what the Bible says? 
when they don't even know what it actually says. When someone comes up to you and you know they don't get it, they know nothing about the Bible. And they say, well, did you know the Bible says? It's the lie of the enemy. And he said, someone told me that if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you can never be forgiven. I've done much worse than that. And he just, and he just stared out and his eyes were glazed and he was lost. My heart broke for him. And he was quoting Mark chapter 3, verse 28 to 30, if you want to have a look at that reference another time. Mark 3, 28. And I said, my heart broke for him. And I, and I said, but when Jesus said that, he was casting out unclean spirits. He was casting out dead Nephilim spirits, if you want to believe that, if you, if you believe that story. He's casting out these unclean spirits. And the, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees See that, that, uh, that the Beelzebub is another name for the devil. Beelzebub has given him the ability to do that. And Jesus says to them, a, a, a kingdom divided will not stand. And he said, he said that you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and you will never be forgiven. See, the, the Pharisees, they didn't believe the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. They didn't believe who Jesus was. And I said to this man, I said, if you believe, that Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sin to set you free, you don't believe it, you will never be forgiven. But here's the good news. The Bible tells me that everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. When you come out of this unbelief and into life, you will be saved. And I said to him, do you, do you want to commit your life to Jesus right now? And at that moment, I led him to the Lord. And let me tell you something. It was like the scales fell off his eyes and a big smile came on his face. I have no idea who this guy is. He was just passing by. I have no idea. And he said, thank you so much. He was shackled in prison but he was set free. You may be here and the lie of the enemy has been speaking to you saying that you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You haven't got what it takes. God will never forgive you. It's the lie of the enemy. He's just a little chihuahua without teeth anyway. And I'm here to tell you that sin and death has no hold on you because of the work of Jesus Christ.